So be sure to get by and hang around for that. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to the Old Testament to the book of Ezra, chapter number 1. Ezra, chapter number 1. The other reason that we tried to, uh, to do as much as we could for Miss Pam is she knows all of our dark secrets. And we hopefully will keep her happy and she will never share them uh, with people. Uh, she knows us. Boy, she knows us well. And she's always there to minister grace. Uh, it's been a, a long four years uh, getting settled in here. And uh, Miss Pam has always been a steadying voice in my life. And I appreciate her so much for that. And uh, we appreciate it. She doesn't share the times that she heard me in there crying like a baby. Uh, Ezra chapter 1, if you're there, let's stand together. And I'm going to share a very simple thought with you today that I hope will encourage you to maybe even follow in the footsteps of Miss Pam a little bit. I'm not going to preach about her, but I couldn't help but think about her while we were preparing the message and has really nothing to do with that. But boy, you can see the testimony of what we're going to preach about today uh, in her life. Ezra chapter 1, I want you to look down to verse number 1. The Bible says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might, by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you, all of his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, as we turn our attention to that now, I pray that our hearts would be open to hearing what you have for us today. Lord, I, I don't know how you're going to deal with people today. I, I don't know all that you have in store, but I know this is the message. I believe you sent, and we're going to preach it. But we need your Holy Spirit today to speak clearly, to bring conviction, to draw the lost to be saved. And, Father, for the saved to be challenged, Lord, as we're going to read about a little bit in a moment. I pray that your will be done. I pray that, Lord, the lost would be saved today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ezra is not a book we preach out of a lot. Just go as the Lord leads us in that. But today he's led us to a passage that I think will be an encouragement, I hopefully, to our church and our people as we live in the days that we are living in. Uh, the book of Ezra is a beautiful record as we read through the book of Ezra of how God is once again breathing life into the nation of Judah. God is breathing life again into his people just as he promised. And I don't know about you. But I'm thankful today that that's the kind of God that I serve. He's a God that can breathe life back into things that have died and things that have been abandoned and things that have been in captivity. God can set them free and God can breathe life into that. And I'm thankful because oftentimes in my life there are times where I'm away from God and need a reviving. And I'm thankful that I have a God that can stir me up again, aren't you? Uh, look, I, I like exciting things and going to sporting events, and I like watching exciting movies, but there's nothing that can excite you like when God stirs you up about his will for your life, and oh, that God would do that again in these last days that we're living. It's amazing, when you read this after the years of captivity, God is making good on his promises. God promised them they would go into captivity, but yes, he would deliver them out of captivity and he would begin to restore and revive again. And I'm also thankful for that this morning, that not only do I serve a God that can breathe life into things that have perished, but I also serve a God who always keeps his promises. This book is full of them. 
I want to encourage you, you ought to take out the Word of God, young person, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, and begin reading in there. And uh, every time you come across one of the promises of God, take out your pen and write beside it, promise. Why? It's a promise from God. And the Bible says that faithful is he that has promised. And now God is keeping his promise, bringing his people out of captivity and about to restore them at Jerusalem. And the, the story of Ezra is a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. What I want to focus in on this morning, the next few minutes that we have together, is a very important principle that you cannot miss as God restores the worship and restores the temple and restores the nation. I want you to notice something this morning, and it's how God is using people to do that. Uh, I pray for God to work, and I pray for God's hand in my life. I pray for God to move in our church and do things that only God can do. I can't reach into your heart. Uh, I can't convict, I can't draw, I cannot save you, only God can do that. But as we read, as God restores this nation and is about to restore the worship, putting it right smack dab in the center of Jerusalem, we're going to see that God used people to do that. Now we can't neglect that today, why? Well, because oftentimes we want God to do it all, right? We want God to come down and fix America, and we want God to fix our home, and God can do that. But I tell you, oftentimes, uh, God is waiting on us to do our part so he can do his part. You know, we read in Scripture where God used a donkey one time, right? Uh, God used a donkey to accomplish his will. He can use whatever he wants. He even said that, hey, if you don't, I'm going to get rocks to do it. God could use rocks to accomplish his will. God could use whatever he wants, but I'm thankful that God wants to use man. And that we get to be a part of God's will. In my Sunday school class, we're talking about the church today and the importance of a real church, all right? I said not a field church, but a real church, amen? I like feeling good, but I'd rather be in a real church than a field church, amen? Because uh, feelings go away with moods and with fads in society. And we're talking about the importance of a real church and how our country needs a real church. We know what a church is. A church is not this building. It's not the steeple and the classrooms. The, the church is the people, we are the called out assembly. That's who we are, the ecclesia. We've been called out by the grace of God, saved through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. And we get, after we get saved, to be a part of the work of God. How awesome is that? Well, you didn't seem very excited. Look, the longer you're here, it's based on how well you amen and pay attention. All right? I told you, look, look, if you don't get spiritually hungry, you're going to be physically hungry before I'm done. All right, because I'm going to repeat myself over and over and over again. Here's what I want you to get today. God was about to restore these people. God was about to rebuild his temple. He's going to send Ezra and Zerubbabel to do that. But what I want you to see this morning is God uses people. And this morning, this room is full of people that God desires to do a work in. If you're lost here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, hey, God wants to do a work in your life today. Oh, what a blessing to be. If you left here today knowing you're on your way to heaven when you die, you can have that 100% guaranteed nailed down before you leave here today. How awesome is that? All right, still no amen. Well, all right, I guess you just want to hang around a little bit later today. But if you're saved, listen, if you're saved today, God's got a work he wants to do in your life. God works through people all throughout the rebuilding of the temple that we're going to read about here this morning. You're going to see that God worked and worked through people to accomplish his will. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What if God's moving was dependent upon ours? 
So God wants to rebuild and restore and revive, all right? We know that. He prophesied about it, and now he is keeping his word, but he's going to use people to do that. What if this morning God wants to rebuild and restore and revive here in the United States of America? What if God wants to do that, and we're waiting on God, God, you just do it all? You ever been that way with your kids, maybe tying their shoes, teaching them to tie their shoes? That's why I wear Crocs. You don't have to tie shoes, okay? If they make dress shoe Crocs, it's over, buddy. I will never tie another shoe again. I have to tie these because these are kind of churchy shoes, right? You're sitting there teaching your kid to tie their shoes, and they know how to tie their shoes. And yet, how often do they bring them to you? Mom and Dad, will you tie my shoes? You know how to tie your shoes. Yeah, but will you do it for me? I think we've all been there. But we do the same thing with God. He's given us what he would have us do. He's told us how he wants it to be done. And now, I believe God desires to move, to restore, and to revive just in the case of Ezra. But I think God is waiting to work through people. And we've got to make ourselves available to be used of God. Think about it this way in the story, the account of the prodigal son. What was he needing? Restoration. Hope. Revival. Now, the father had every power to do that for him, but he did not find restoration and revival in his life until he says, I will arise. You see, how could he expect his father to move on his behalf if he wasn't willing to move on his behalf? I'm afraid this morning we want God to move on our behalf. God save my home, God save my children, God save our country, God save our church. And yet how often are we willing to move on our own behalf? Think about what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. The very end says, and I will heal their land. Boy, that's what we want. God, we are praying that you will heal our land. But what did he say at the very beginning of that? If my people will. If my people will, then will I. I believe God wants to move. Don't think for a second, because we're living in these last days. I get so tired of being around pessimists that are saying, there's no point in trying. There's no point in doing anything. Let's just wait on the bus to come pick us up. Now, I'm looking for the bus to come pick me up. But while I'm waiting, I'm going to do some work. And why? Because God wants to work. And I think this morning, if we would just be busy about what God has made clear to us, I think we'd see God doing a whole lot more. Just a few weeks ago, a young man by the name of Max Park, you don't know him most likely, a 21-year-old from Cerrito, California, set the world record for solving a Rubik's Cube. Has anybody in here ever solved a Rubik's Cube? Man, we've got a few. Amen, Brother Dylan. We've got a couple back here. Amen. We've got a few smart folks in our church. Ooh, that was scary for a second thinking, we're doomed. We are doomed. Nobody saw, I haven't either, okay? I've never solved a Rubik's Cube. He set the new Guinness World Record just about two weeks ago at 3.13 seconds. 3.13 seconds. I'm thinking, sir, do you not have anything better to do with your life? <laughs> That's what I wonder, all right? Do you know how you solve a Rubik's Cube? You just keep making the moves. Keep making the moves. Keep making the moves. You know why I, I think so many of our problems are not solved in our homes, our country, and our churches? We quit making the moves. God wants to use us. God wants to work in us. God wants to restore our home, our children, our hope, our joy, whatever it is that you need restoring. The problem is we're waiting on God to do it when God is waiting on us to move. 
Now, this morning, this is a very, very simple thought this morning, but man, what a beautiful picture we're going to see here in Ezra. We're going to look at three different people that God's going to use to be a part of this. Can I tell you this morning, you haven't lived until you've been used of God to be a part of his will. There's nothing like it. Being used of God to be a part of his work. And this morning, we're going to look at these three people and see what motivated them. The message is simple, the motivation to make you move. The motivation to make you move. And we're going to focus on what made these people get involved in what God had in store for them. So first this morning, I want you to look down. We're going to look at Cyrus, if we could. The king of Persia. Look down at verse 2. The Bible says, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Watch this. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Now here is King Cyrus, and he's presiding over the last part of the 70 years captivity. And suddenly, the king of Persia is now about to become a part of what God is desiring to do. Now number one, I think that's amazing in of itself, that God can use whoever he wants to use in his work in any way that God wants to use them. That all excites you today. You may not be the smartest, most talented person in the world, but God wants to use you, and God can use you. Here he's using the king of Persia to be a part of his work. Now watch what motivated Cyrus. Verse 2 says, he hath charged me. He hath charged me. The first motivation I want you to see this morning that got Cyrus to moving, that I think ought to get us to moving, number one, is the charge to make us move. He says, look, I'm doing what I'm doing because God has charged me. God has laid this upon me. God has made this clear to me. And so you got the king of Persia now a part of what God's doing because God charged him. If there's anything I ought to motivate you today to be a part of what God desires to do in your life, it's the fact that God has charged you with it. Hey, do you know why, why I got saved? Do you know why I got saved? I got saved because as a nine-year-old child, I read the Holy Spirit of God deep with my heart. I realized I was lost, and I read a charge in the Word of God that says, ye must be born again. He didn't say, I hope you get born again, or hey, you ought to think about getting born again, or you ought to flip a coin or shake the magic eight ball about being born again. No, he says, ye must be born again. Hey, I'm thankful God cared enough about me to confront me with his will for my life, because that's why I'm not going to hell today. I'm on my way to heaven. I cannot go to hell. You ever think about that? Some of you, I think, I think you would smile. I've been working on some of you for four years. I ain't got you there yet. If you just thought about the fact that if you're saved, you can't go to hell. If that don't do it for you, then you need to get saved, all right? And then you'll learn how to smile. I'm thankful this morning, watch, that God desires to work in our life. Now, if you are saved today, can I tell you what ought to motivate you? We've been charged with the will of God. It's not a request. It is non-negotiable. As a child of God, the Bible says, no, you're not. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. That means I belong to him. I have been charged to fulfill his will in my life. It was not a request. That ought to motivate me alone. Why? Because God said so. God has charged me to be a part of his will. I'm not going to negotiate about it. Give an example. Uh, there were two battleships that went out for maneuvers one night in the Pacific Ocean. They were out there riding around doing their maneuvers. It got very dark. Clouds rolled in and couldn't hardly see where they were going. 
one of the ships is sailing due east, and he notices right off the bow of the ship that the other ship is right in his way. He sees the lights. And so the man runs to the captain and says, Captain, uh, there's lights right off the bow of our ship. He says, well, you radio to them, and you tell them to, uh, to avert course 20 degrees. The guy says, no, you avert, co- avert course 20 degrees. He gets back on. He says, sir, this is the captain. Avert your course 20 degrees. He says, no, you avert your course 20 degrees. And they're going back and forth, man. I mean, they're getting, they're getting closer and closer to that light. And this guy says, sir, you don't understand. This is the captain of the USS whatever. Avert your course 20 degrees. The other guy got on there and he said, sir, you don't understand. This is a lighthouse. You avert your course 20 degrees. I hate to tell you this. He could have been hard-headed, and he could have said, you know what, I'm not moving. And it would have hurt him real bad. It would have cost him a whole lot. Can I tell you that when God shows and makes his will known to you, the best thing you can do is be obedient to what thus saith the Lord. Whatever God charges you with, God charges you, hey, surrender this in your life. Start doing this in your life. Best thing in the world you could do is don't negotiate with God. Somebody said this one time, they said, the most non-negotiable demand you'll ever hear in your life is a baby calling for his 3 a.m. feeding. I have a child, and I have to agree with that. But I'll tell you, there's no point in negotiating with God when you know what God wants you to do. Now, what was God wanting to do here in Ezra? He was wanting to rebuild, revive, and restore. And it began with one man realizing he had been charged from God. Can I tell you this morning, as we seek God to restore, revive, and rebuild our country, I don't know what God's will is for it. The best thing we can do is be obedient to what God's charged us with. Why? We want to see it restored. What a shame it would be for us not to care about the future generations of our country to invest all that we could to have the blessings of God back on this country again. I want my daughter to enjoy it and one day my grandchildren to enjoy it. But if I don't do my part and be obedient to the will of God, I hate to tell you they're not going to inherit a country that looks very nice. They're not going to enjoy the life that we give them. Exodus chapter 19 verse 21. Listen to what the Bible says when Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God. And the Lord said unto Moses, go down, charge the people, lest they break through. Do you hear what he said? Charge the people. All right? Charge the people, lest they break through, listen close, unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. God says, tell the people to stay back. Charge them. Stay back. Why? I don't want them to break through. The Bible says, and they perish. You see, it was for their own good to heed what they had been charged with. Can I tell you why our homes are perishing? Can I tell you why our churches are perishing? They close their doors every day of the week in the United States of America. They are perishing because we are not heeding what we have been charged with. God has made his will known to us. He's preserved it in the book. And how can we expect God to bless when we aren't obedient to what he's charged us with? It's neat. You look up that word charged. uh, And I had to ask Brother AJ just to get a little uh, extra input on this. It means the word muster. All right? Now, some of you that are hungry heard mustard. We're not talking about mustard, okay? I could tell, what? No, we're not even getting close to leaving, okay? Muster. It's a military term, and here's what it means in, uh, based on Wikipedia. To assemble in place the process of accounting members of a military unit. With AJ, I called him this morning. I said, what does that mean? He says, muster means just to get, get together, to report together, to get to one place at the same time, one group, either for inspection or to go out to war. The word charge here means to muster. You know what it means? Get in your place. 
the Lord hath charged me. Here's, here's what it means. It means that Cyrus recognized that God had a place for him. And Cyrus says, I'm going to be about what God told me to do because this is the place I've been told to muster. This is the place that I've been told to serve in. Can I tell you, look, this is easy pickings this morning, all right? I believe the reason we're suffering so much in our country is because we're out of our muster. We're out of our place. We have not reported to the will of God for our life. And we're sitting back and we're wondering, why is all this going wrong? Why is all this falling apart? I'll tell you why. Because we're not obedient to what? To what we've been charged with. I think about it as a parent. <clears throat> Proverbs 22, 6. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. Do you know that wasn't a request? You know, I had, a, I had a lady, a very nice lady, one time get on to me because I, I literally spatted my daughter, okay? Not spat on her, but spatted her, okay? Meaning I, I just took a pencil and tapped her little hams. And they weren't so little when you were little, okay? Had a lot of meat on there. Probably going to have to erase this. <laughs> Child service is going to come to my house tonight, and my, my, my daughter's not even going to come home with me. Sorry about that, bud. I love you. I'll buy you a car one day, okay? A Volkswagen. And I just spat it on her leg. You know, she was throwing a fit, just a little tap. That's all it was. And this lady said, you shouldn't be spanking that, that baby. I said, number one, I didn't spank her. I just spat at her to show disapproval. Mom and Dad, it's okay to show your kids disapproval. That's part of training them up. That's what the Bible says, train them up. We put more training into our duck dogs than we do to our children. Why? Well, they mind better, okay? I'm just putting it out there. I've been around a lot of duck dogs. I used to duck hunt a lot. And this lady says, you shouldn't be spatting, you, know, you shouldn't be all that, all that. Do you, do you think I enjoyed spatting my daughter when she was little? No, not at all. But it wasn't a request to train her up. I was charged to train her up. I was charged to. Mom and dad, don't think for a second you can go to God and say, God, you know what? I know that you said that we're to train them up the way they should go, but I just don't feel like that, you know, because my kid doesn't like that, and so therefore I'm not going to do it. He didn't ask you. He charged you, all right? And we shouldn't be surprised when all of a sudden they go off the deep end one day because we didn't train them. It's important to obey the charge, all right? There are times I don't like preaching what God says preach. I'll be straight up honest with you. Why? Because you don't smile, okay? And that doesn't help me out when you don't smile, a smile is like the easiest amen. That's all it is. It's just an easy amen when you smile every once in a while. There are times I don't want to preach what God has to say because I know it's going to make me even more unpopular than I already am. Amen. Brother Richard agrees I'm unpopular. <laughs> but you know, Paul didn't tell Timothy, hey, Timothy, look, won't you pray about preaching the word, Timothy? Timothy, I want you to think about preaching the word, and hey, if you feel good about preaching the word, no, he just said preach the word. He was charged with it. He says, Timothy, I'm charging you with this. This is not something that's optional. It's kind of like the tips at the, at the stores now. Now look, if you work at retail or at a fast food restaurant, I'm not knocking you, okay? But now everywhere asks you to tip. Everywhere. Like I pump my own gas, and I think the pump asked me, do you want to tip? I'm like, what? You know, I pumped it. You know, I'm not going to tip. Hey, you know, you McDonald's, whatnot. Do you want to tip? You want to tip? Tips are optional. That is it. Watch this. An optional charge. Now, some of you are looking at me mean. I am not a cheapskate. I do tip people. Uh, it's based on the service. All right? You do good service, you're going to get a really good tip. You don't do good service, you'll get a base model tip. Okay? Nothing fancy. But a tip is an optional charge. That's what a tip is. Can I tell you, obeying the will of God is not an optional charge. 
When God makes known to you what his plan is, watch this, Cyrus says, I'm king of Persia, and the Lord charged me to build him a house. Cyrus, why are you doing what you're doing? I've been charged. You know how different this country would look if God's people were just obedient to what God's charged them with. Genesis chapter 26, verse 4. I want you to listen close, and I'm going to give you the second thing. It gets really fast, okay? And I will make thy seed, talking about Abraham, to multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Wow, that's a really good verse right there. Listen to the next part. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. Notice the blessings up there in verse 4 are preceded by the result, the reason, because thou hast kept my charge. Could I ask you this morning, has God already made his will known, known to you? I don't know what it is, but are you keeping the charge? If you want to be a part of what God's building, number one, you've got to keep the charge, all right? There was a preacher getting ready to move, and uh, evidently people didn't smile enough, and he just got his feelings hurt, he decided he was going to move. And so this preacher decided, all right, I'm going to move, and I was joking, okay, gosh. And as they're getting ready to move, they're moving the mattress on their bed, and underneath the, the bed there was a basket of eggs, and $1,000, a basket of eggs and $1,000. The pastor looked at his wife and he says, what are these eggs and where did this money come from? She says, well, every time you preach a bad message, I put an egg in the basket. There's like five eggs in the bag, basket. He thought, well, 10 years of preaching, only five eggs, that's not too bad at all. He says, well, where's the $1,000 come from? She says, well, every time I get a dozen, I sell the dozen for a dollar. I'm not going to ask you how many eggs or how many dollars you have, okay? I'm not going to ask you at all. There are times when obeying the charge is hard, whether it be parenting, preaching, whether it be trying to be a Christian co-worker, it's hard. But I promise you this morning, if you want to see what God's trying to build and be a part of what God's trying to build, understand the thing that ought to motivate you is we've been charged by God, not requested by God. Stick with it this morning. Number two, I want you to look down, if you would, to verse number three. So Cyrus says, I've been charged. That's what motivated him. He was charged. He was charged. Number two, or verse number three. He said, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem. It's interesting, as Cyrus is telling the people what God is doing in his heart, he begins to share with them how they can be a part. So watch, this is amazing. So now God has a plan to revive, rebuild, and restore, and he's going to use people to do that. So he uses Cyrus, and Cyrus is motivated by the fact that God's charged him. That ought to motivate us. But there's another motivation in verse number three, is that who is there among you, all his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem. He says, all right, we're giving you this opportunity. God wants to do this. God has made it clear. And now, watch, the people get to decide whether or not they're going to be a part of it. Number two, the second motivation this morning that we ought to be moving about the will of God for our life, notice the choice to make a move. He says in verse 3, who is there among you of all his people, his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. Although this opportunity to be a part of what God was building was great and it was of God, it still came with the choice that had to be made to be a part of it. He says, God's doing a great work. He's rebuilding his house, the centerpiece of the country. I love the fact he rebuilt 
uh, the temple before he rebuilt the wall. The walls were political. The walls were military defenses. But the temple was the very essence of what it was all about. And that was keeping God first. They said, let's rebuild the temple first. And then we'll rebuild the walls later in Nehemiah. But notice, in order for the people to be a part of it, there was a choice that they had to make. Can I tell you, I think this is where we lose it right here. Look, you hear enough preaching and teaching, and, and, and look, if you're anything like a lot of you in this building this morning, I know you listen to other preaching. You don't get enough out of mine, so you can listen to other preaching uh, podcasts. You read your Bible. Maybe you read commentaries, and you get all that you need. You know the charge, but we've yet to make the choice. What did he say in verse 3? Who is there among you? He says, hey, hey, who, who among you? Hey, this is what God's doing. He's rebuilding, reviving, and restoring, and God's charged me to get it together. Hey, who, who wants to go? Who wants to be a part of it? Can I tell you something this morning that ought to bless your heart a little bit? God is no respecter of person. And to this day, God is saying this. Hey, who? Who is it? I mean, you're thinking this morning, my, my family may not be uh, this, all that, and the other, and I may not have it all together. Can I tell you, God can use any who, right? Sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? The church is kind of like Whoville, right? Whosoever, right? Whosoever. He says, hey, I'll save anybody. I'll use anybody. But you've got to choose to be saved. You've got to choose this morning to be used of God. This morning, we're missing out on what God wants. We're missing it. He's got to work. I think about our church and what God's doing in our church. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that God is working in and that God is using. The sad thing is far too many of us are spectators. Spectators. You're missing out. Why? Because you haven't decided that I'm going to make the choice to be a part of what God's doing. Think about it this way. Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to hurry. Verse 13. The Bible says, enter ye in the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many be therewith, many there be which go in thereat. Notice the Bible's talking about the two different gates we can go in. Do you know what that means? That there's a narrow way and a broad way. That means there's a choice. There's a choice. You know, we, we, we love to be victims. We live in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, and I think the dwelling place of victimhood. That's what our country's become. We're all a victim of something. And I'm not, look, if you've been a victim of something, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that, okay? Everybody's been, been a victim of something. We've all gone through something, right? All right? We, we have a tendency, if you're not careful, to say, well, you know what? I can't because of this, and I won't because of this, and I'll never get to this because of this. Can I tell you, he asked the question, who is there among you? You know the promises of God are reserved for who of you would like to be a part of it? Who is there among you that like to be saved today? Who is there among you that like to get more close to God today? Who is there among you that like to get right with God today? The promises of God are available to any who that's in here today. Why don't we have them? Because we don't make the choice. If you keep reading on later, he would say, those who God has stirred their heart. Hey, if God has, has stirred your heart this morning, why don't you be a part of the opportunities that God's providing for you? Think about it this way. God all, God's offers only become God's opportunities through our obedience. God's offers only become our opportunities through our obedience. So what does that mean? Just because he offers it doesn't mean it's yours until you choose to have it. You know why there's people in hell today? What a horrible thought. There's people in hell today. You know why they're there? Because of the choice. God didn't send them there. They chose to go there. 
You see, when you choose to reject Christ, you're choosing hell. That's what you're choosing. The Bible says it's a free gift. Whosoever will, the Bible says let him come. It's offered to everybody. And if you choose not to accept it, guess what? You've chosen hell by not choosing Christ. I want to prove that to you real quickly. Luke chapter 16, we have the, the, the story of the rich man. The Bible says that he asked the Lord, he says, send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and give me just a drop of water to cool my tongue. And what was the Lord's reply to him? Listen closely, you're going to hear the choice. It says, but Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. You know what he's saying? While you're alive, you made your choice. You chose, I wanted all of this, and I wasn't worried about all of, of God, and I said, you know what, this is going to be good enough for me. He says, son, you made your choice. It's kind of like a billboard I saw a while back. It says, don't be caught dead sitting on your seatbelt. Oh, wow, that was pretty good. Don't be caught dead sitting on your seatbelt. Do you know, there's a lot of us that are going to be caught spiritually dead sitting on our Bible. Our homes are going to die. We're going to be caught dead. We're going down the road yesterday in front of Walmart. And uh, if this is you, I'm not picking on you, okay? But uh, we passed this lady. We sat by this lady at the red light, and her Bible was on the dash of her car. And that dude was curled up like nobody's business on the dash, sun-cooked, sun-cooked. And I said, well, I guess that's what happens between Sunday and Sunday when you leave your Bible on the dash of your car. It kind of gets cooked. And my wife answers back, and she says, well, at least they know where it's at. I said, yeah, I guess that's true. They know where it's at. I wonder how much of us are struggling this morning. And the answers are there. But we've not chosen. We've not chosen what God has charged us with. Number one this morning, what motivated Cyrus was a charge. But then we see the people, what was their motivation? It was the choice, the opportunity. They had to be a part of what God was doing. Can I tell you this morning, if you're not a part of what God's doing here at Central Baptist Church, it's not because I don't want you to be, it's because you're not choosing to be. Hey, there's all kinds of service to do here, all kinds of opportunities. Number two, the choice to move. And then finally, I want you to turn over with me, if you will. We're going to close on a good note. I want you to go all the way to chapter number nine. Go all the way to chapter nine. One of my favorite verses. Chapter nine, I want you to look down. Look down, if you will. Let's start in verse number one. Now, when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands. And what's happening? Well, during the building, there's trouble. Well, there's trouble. It's amazing how even when things are going good, be careful. The devil's going to try to sneak through the back door, and he tells you what the trouble is coming from. The Bible says, for they have taken up their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the Holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands, yea, the hand of the princes and rulers uh, hath been chief in this trespass. Don't you pay attention to what's happening. Here's the people, the people are building, they're trying to accomplish what God has offered them to be a part of. By the way, could I just encourage you this morning, when things are going well, things are going good in your life, and maybe you've taken the step forward to be a part of the will of God, could I just encourage you this morning to make sure that you watch that back door? The devil would love to sneak in and stop the good things that are going. By the way, if the devil's bothering you, it probably means he's bothering you for a reason. You must matter to him because evidently you're mattering to the kingdom of God. 
So as Ezra and the people are building, they are dealing with these problems that are there in the land. They're dealing with the problems that come in. But here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. The last motivation is the fact that even though things were difficult, times were hard, troubles had come, they should be motivated by the fact that they have this third thing, and that's the chance to make a move. Watch closely. Stick with me if you would. The people that are here in the book of Ezra, they know what it's like to be a part of the captivity. And they know what sent them into captivity. It was when they began living against the will and the word of God. That's what will send you into captivity and in need of being revived again. That will always wreck God's plan for your life when you choose to go the other way. And so as they build and as they grow, here come those same problems entering in back into why? Because the devil wants to sabotage the good work that God is doing. But understand this. If God has placed us here as Esther for such a time as this, this is our chance, and we've got to make sure we take advantage of the chance that God would give us. If you keep reading in Ezra, it says that God has given us a, a little grace, a space of grace, a nail in his holy place. We can't lose this chance. Listen to me. I don't think we have a lot of chances left as the church of the living God in America today to get this wrong. As we build and as we grow, problems are going to come. Temptations are going to come. But we've got to understand what ought to motivate us is we've got a chance. We've got a chance to leave a better country for these children. We've got a chance to reach more lost with the gospel. We've got a chance to be a church that's here for people that are going to need it long after we're gone. We can't allow the distractions to keep us from the will of God. That's what ought to motivate you. He said, but man, there's a problem here and problem there. You read in chapter 9, it's problem after problem after problem. But Ezra would go on to say, God has given us a space, a nail in his holy place. I'm thankful for this chance God has given us. That ought to motivate us more than anything. There's a lot of us this morning. Look, I, I'm political to an extent. Uh, I don't bring a lot of politics behind the pulpit, but I, uh, I try to keep up with our politics. And we think our chance lies at the polls. That's not our chance. That's not our chance. Now we're going to do our best. We're going to vote good people in. We had a candidate here the other day. We're going to do our best. That's not our chance. Watch this. The problem came in with spiritual immorality. Verse 1, abominations. They have taken the daughters of themselves or their sons for a holy seed. They've mingled themselves. What happened? The devil's smart. He tries to corrupt what God's doing. But here's what we've got to understand. This ought to keep us motivated. God's given us a chance. God's given us a chance. So how do you know that? We're still here. We're still here. We've got an opportunity. Let's not waste it this morning. That ought to make you get up on the move. Get a spiritual move on this morning. Why? Number one, very, very simple. God's given us a charge. God's given us a charge. Can I ask you this morning, as God seeks to build and to grow and to work, what has God charged you with? What is the will of God that he's made known to you? What has God burdened your heart about and made clear to you? What has God stirred your heart about this morning? Could I encourage you this morning? Heed the charge. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Could I encourage you? Heed the charge. Heed the charge. You don't want to die and spend eternity in a place called hell. And remember, you have all eternity to burn in a devil's hell thinking, I remember that service. That guy was up there preaching and he was talking about heaven and hell. And I remember my heart was stirred and I thought, oh, I got stuff to do. I got to get out of here. It's time for lunch. 
Oh, you have all eternity to regret that decision, not heeding the charge. But then, the work that God was doing, the people had a chance to be a part of it. Who is there among you? Make a choice. What has God been burdening you about? Make the choice. It's not going to happen. One of the college students the other day asked me a question. He says, uh, what's the greatest, one of the greatest things you learned in ministry? And I couldn't think about the greatest things I learned in ministry. But I said, I'll give you one thing for sure that I have learned. Don't believe in destiny for a second. Don't think it's just going to happen without you doing anything about it. You've got to make a choice. You've got to put some elbow grease in there. You've got to make it happen. The thing we've got to do this morning is choose to get on board. What was Joshua imploring them to do? Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. You've got to choose to be a part of what God's doing. Ezra was going back to build the house of God and the great house of God here at Central Baptist Church. Oh, there could be so many more people involved, but we're not choosing to. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Well, let it be just by way of invitation this morning. We're going to lose our chance. We're going to lose our chance. Whenever you're tempted to go mingle and tempted to get out of the will of God and not be faithful, could I just encourage you, remember, we're going to lose our chance. God has given us a nail in his holy place. Let's make sure this morning we're motivated to move. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed.